One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. From a footballing perspective, it is pretty quiet. It is an interlull after all. However, it's an interlull without Bukayo Saka, who's not gone away with England. Well, he had to go away with England then, immediately was sent back to Arsenal because of the injury that he sustained, which kept him out of the Manchester City game. And no William Saliba in there as well for France. He's got a bit of a sore toe, but hopefully he too can be ready for when football begins again next week. The internationals will play out over the course of this weekend and early next week. We'll keep fingers crossed for all of the Arsenal players involved that they come back injury-free and we can pick up where we left off against Manchester City. And actually, that's where we're going to start today because there's still stuff we can explore from that game. And with me to do so, I'm delighted to welcome back. It's Clive Palmer. Hello, Clive. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How's the interlull treating you so far? Well, we're still reading about the Man City game, aren't we? So <laughs> we're still <laughs> absorbing that game. And everyone's got their opinion. So, um, yeah, it hasn't quite hit me yet that there's, there's no football this weekend. I'm still, yeah. I'm still basking. Still yeah, you, you got to find something else to do this weekend rather than watch Arsenal. But I did want to start with Man City because I know this has been sort of talked about all through the week and with great enjoyment uh, by everybody who's been talking about it. And I'm sure everybody who's been listening to it, and we understand what a significant moment it was from an Arsenal perspective because of the record, because of just how competitive you need to be against a team like Manchester City. But I wanted to ask you, what, what do you make of this win? How do you put this win in the context of the Premier League season so far, rather than just with your Arsenal hat on, what do you think it says about this season's competition, if anything? Yeah, for the competition perspective, I think um, there are teams bubbling, you know, improving, you know, Spurs, Villa, Newcastle, a bit up and down. There's a few more competitive teams out there. And, 
even some of the lower teams have been unfortunate, like Wolves, and they showed against City that they could do it, and they should have done it against Man United, which we saw. Mm. <clears throat> so from a competitive point of view, the league is interesting. But from an Arsenal point of view, I think this game showed how we're growing up and how we have learned our lessons or learning lessons from previous games, and not just Man City games, but other games where we've been a little bit... Um, childlike shall we say in some of our approaches and immature and um i do think there's been a big change in our playing focus this year and for me last year was all about how we play you know bringing in the man city boys getting our system in place you know having the inverted fullback and it was all about in possession for me and how bright we looked it was all new and exciting and we upped the quality of our players until we ran out of puff and then we did we slowed down but this season for me has been all about out of position. And I think what the management realised was that when key personnel were out, our in-possession game went and we hadn't enough out of possession for focus to maintain a winning run. And I think it's interesting to see how we absorb that as fans. And I think it's so interesting because we're so used to the, the play of last year. I don't think we're seeing where the coaching emphasis is this season. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this a bit and the sort of evolution of Mikel Arteta as a as a coach and as a manager. And I think I talked about this with, with James maybe on uh, Monday in the Arscast Extra, mm. where the approach going to Manchester City, you know, a couple of years ago or even 18 months ago was, we're going to go there, we're going to play our game. Even last season, you know, when we didn't have William Saliba, you know, you could tailor your approach to make sure that the weaknesses in your team were not as exposed. And we didn't. And Mikel Arteta said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to, you know, try and play the way we've played effectively all season and couldn't do it because we were missing Saliba. I'm not going to pile on Rob Holding, but Rob Holding is not William Saliba. The knock-on effects of all that kind of stuff were obvious, I think, to everybody. Yeah, and And that's, you know, something that you as a manager and as a coach have to recognize I felt that at the time. This is what I thought was the best approach for this game because I suppose in some way you're trying to carry on the momentum. You're trying to harness the momentum to to get you through something like that. But then you have to recognize, okay, that didn't work. That didn't work. And I'm sure he had doubts about that at the time. I'm sure he you know, had worries about how effective the team might be without some key players. But... It's evident this season, and not just in the Manchester City game, that control, taking some of the chaos is not quite the right word, but some of the the panache, the flair, the sort of uh, risk-taking in our game, which paid off a lot last season, is not there this time around. Yeah, I agree with you, Andrew. I think we've slowed the pace of our attack, and I think there's reasons for that, right? And... You can see it in some of the recent games and, you know, if you attack somebody when they give you the ball back, you may not be thinking about your on-ball organisation and so you're just thinking about how you attack and if you lose it, suddenly you're showing the team your weakness. And Man City are classics for this, the counter-press and then going into the area where you just don't want them to go and they go there with normally their best player running into that space and then they... and. We know, this, we know the rest, 3-1, 4-1, how many times have we seen it, right? So um, I think there's a definite maturity about what happens in the turnover, in the transition, and not just rushing to attack, but waiting till we attack from shape, right? So I think that's been a key thing. 
I also think I totally agree with you. The Etihad game this year, I spent about 10 pods talking about double pivot. <laughs> you probably heard me say it. <laughs> and, um, and part of that was fear. And part of that was just secure your middle. Mm. You know, just secure your middle and go from there. Stay in the game, go from there. And again, I would have put my hand up and say, you know, I would have said that Sleeper was there, maybe not. But when he was out, I thought, I, I don't feel comfortable. Let's protect the middle. What do we do in this game? We protected our middle. Mm. Didn't care. We protected our middle and make sure that we don't show them those pieces and those areas. And then we, we play from there. And actually, I think we won the wide spaces. So I think it was such a mature approach and also a respectful approach to the opposition. I said this to Elliot the other day, and it's quite interesting because we're all sort of waiting for the attack to come back. But I said to him, mate, imagine if we we're playing a Champions League final on the weekend. Which style would we win? Would we win with last season's style? Or would we win with what we saw closer to Man City? A much more out of possession style, which potentially could play against the very, very best teams in the world. Sure. I, I mean, think it's the latter. Yeah, I mean, it would depend who you're playing in the final, you know. Mm. Uh, but typically when you get to that game, there's going to be a very good team uh, in front of you. Yeah. The the off-the-ball focus and, and how a team organizes itself in that regard, I think, is is a, a discussion we don't really have. Because I spoke to, I listened to, for example, second captains this week. They talked about our game. And the the consensus was that, you know, it's not really a very good game. It wasn't a brilliant game. It wasn't like a classic top of the table, two Titanic teams going at each other, etc., etc. But every Arsenal fan I've spoken to, you know, says, this was, this was a great game. I was absolutely captivated by the performance, what we were doing, how we were doing it. Like, it wasn't full of event. It wasn't full of incident, you know, beyond the stupidity of the referee and all that kind of stuff. There wasn't, you know, countless shots and all those kinds of things. But I think you can find a football match interesting without those things. And I suspect in many ways for us as Arsenal fans, this game was as interesting as it was in part because of what we did, but also because of the fact we we managed to win it late. It probably wouldn't have been quite as interesting if we hadn't found that goal. And I fully accept that. But the approach and the team selection, some of the decisions that he made, Jorginho coming in, I said it to you beforehand, I said I'd be pretty okay with Jorginho coming in. It was Jesus out wide and it was Eddie Nketiah up front. And, you know, there were decisions that he made where maybe pound for pound there might have been better options. Like Jesus at nine is better than Eddie at nine. But... What do you need on the right-hand side when you don't have Bukayo Saka? In a game like this where midfield is key and City don't have Rodri and they don't have the power and they don't have the the quality that he brings, do you then say, okay, Jorginho, not a regular starter for us, but in this game, you know, as somebody who is experienced and who can help direct traffic, if that's the right word, okay? Yeah. You know, w when there is such an emphasis on your off-the-ball work, you need experienced players in midfield, you need not just the manager to be able to guide the pieces around the pitch from the sideline because half the time they can't fucking hear him. You need the players, you know, who are who can carry out those instructions on the pitch as well. And I think uh, Jorginho is one of those players. Yeah, and the way the game panned out and the spaces by which he had to play in, there was no big spaces for him to cover. 
it was all congested. So they had a couple of five-a-side players in there, and Lewis and Bernardo playing mm. in their double six. And we had Rice and Jorginho in our double six. And it was like, okay, let's see what you got. And um, I think it suited him. And um, I think it suited uh, it suits us to have that central area sorted out. And also, you, we have a couple of players that can do two jobs. Like Rice starts double pivot, but disappears to left back, left wing. And then he gets back in and no one misses him. Right, so he's a he's a major player. We do the same with Ben White as well. One minute he's at right back, right centre half, and next minute he's playing off he's playing off a one two in the corner flag. You know, he's just we have these players that can literally move up the beach. And I think for me, the major thing from this game, Andrew, was that you could see that it wasn't just us that was a little bit conservative in our shape. Mm. They were conservative in their shape, which means they respect us now. Because before, they used to just come in and swat us and watch us be childlike and watch us attack the game, knowing what we were going to do. They just went above and beyond in this game to try to stop us. And and that means we've arrived, really. We've arrived. We've literally arrived at the top table. And you can tell that by their approach to us. And I, I thought it was a major game from, okay, we're getting somewhere. Rather than conclusion, it was more like, measuring progress we're getting somewhere and i'm not sure where it leads we've got 30 games to go but i tell you what we're right there when it comes to on ball off ball structure and our ability to manage teams physically and technically and play sit from out the back press on if we have to and mid block if we have to so all of a sudden we've got all the games whereas last year we didn't have that we just had this on ball game Mm. that was very front five centric we didn't have five high in this game too often then we arrived later with more control so we changed how we play and we haven't forgotten what we used to do we just changed our emphasis this year and when the attacking players are all on the pitch because i did hear a message that someone sent me a message saying that martinelli saka and jesus have played 23 minutes together as a three wow so we had these memories of our attack mm. We haven't seen it, mate. No. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't seen it. So we just have to wait for it all to come to fruition. The tactical variation that Mikel Arteta talked about wanting uh, appears to be tied up with, uh, you know, what we're doing and how we're doing it so far this season. And I think it's also fair to say that, you know, perhaps some of the the rationale for this is the fact that Jesus was out injured at the start. Sinchenko was out yeah. injured at the start. Gabriel wasn't in the team at the start for tactical reasons um you know that that story is to be told yes yeah 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 but you know that those things also play a part in how you approach certain games i think you know the the -hmm. desire to be or to have more tactical variation i think is is good and obvious but your hand is also forced by certain circumstances which are in and out of your control how much do you think in a game like the one against manchester city the presence of and the signing of Declan Rice in the summer played a part. Because I remember you at the live event in Union Chapel when all the talk was of Declan Rice and, you know, this is the guy that we were after. And I'm paraphrasing, you know, that you said you think there's more to come from him as a player than we've seen either for West Ham or for England. Yeah. Are you surprised with how quickly we have seen that and to the extent to which we've seen that and his impact, not just on the pitch, but again, going back to what his signing actually meant for 
the perception of this team, this iteration of Arsenal Football Club? I felt during last season we lost our sort of off-ball structure a little bit and I was looking for players that are good off the ball and he's like the best. He's the best interceptor, tackler. You know, he just goes and gets people, right? So, and I thought he looks such an energetic player and and as he has he developed into our team, I thought, okay, how's he going to go for him? Is he going to play eight? Is he going to play six? And we all, we all picked our teams, didn't we? With the signings came in, etc. What's really pleased me about him is his desire to learn and then how he, how he implements that very, very quickly. So his pace of pass has improved. His awareness has improved. His positional awareness has gone through the roof. And some people could say, hey, he was doing that at West Ham. Well, I actually think he was doing more at West Ham in a less structured way. You know, so whereas now he's having to fit into this, our structure, mm. also step out of it when required. And I think that's where he's done really well. So there were periods in the game when we were getting run through. And rather than leave it to somebody else, no, nah, I'll step in and do that. Because I know I can get there. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Don't leave it to somebody else. When I need to split out, go out to the wide, fantastic. It's no problem because Zinchenko will drop into my role, which he does immediately. And they have a fantastic partnership and, and symbiotic relationship, really. They seem to move where the other one goes. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they just cover each other really, really well. I think Zinchenko offers some of the centrality that maybe Rice maybe doesn't quite have yet. But I think he'll develop that round-the-corner pass that Thomas Party's got. And when Thomas Party goes on, then you can see that this year may be a development year for him. As a six, as a true, true six, not from a defensive angle, but from a a creative angle, you know, having variation. Because I think sometimes we're playing outside of the block. By that, I mean he goes to Saka very, very early. And sometimes he to fire it into Odegaard, fire it into centre-forward and create a bit of a bit of danger in the central areas. I think we've definitely dropped off in that. So he's developing into his team. And I, I will say to you, I think I said on the very same stage, I think he's a fantastic player. I said, I think I'd say he's better than Bellingham. Well, I should have said for us, he's better than Bellingham. You know, because Bellingham is really a forward, isn't he, at the moment? And we've got the player that we needed mm. to be that, that two-way box-to-box player that can also play six and can also play eight and get a, maybe get five goals at the end of the season. That's what we needed. And I think we've got it and we've got it now for eight, nine years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, what a player Jude Bellingham is as well. Oh, my goodness. Can't miss him, can you, mate? No, I mean, talk about hitting the ground running, you know. (laughs) Um, He's just phenomenal. He really is. And just so enjoyable to watch as well, you know. That that kind of, I don't know, you see players come along and you just know uh, that guy's got it. Yeah, and he's yeah. absolutely... Oh, no, the idea no. would to have them both, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, that'd be nice. <laughs> I, think idea, like, <laughs> I think he had a better option at his disposal, in fairness, maybe, you maybe know, just. for him, for him, not not necessarily not necessarily for us. Just finally on the Man City game, you know, when we come back, we've got two tricky away games. We've got Chelsea away, and then we've got Sevilla away in the Champions mm-hmm. League. Our away record has been good, but, you know, home form can really push you um, where you want to go? Because I think that's probably more indicative of who you are as a team is how you play at home rather than how you play away. It wasn't just a win. It was a clean sheet at home as well, which is, which is very good. Um, And, you know, we've had our issues at home conceding goals 
maybe we could have conceded in this one, you know, got a little bit of luck along the way. Sometimes, sometimes that goes for you, but you know, do you think, is that important going into these two away games that we're able to put that, uh, put that sort of home win in our back pocket, take stock during the interlull and then, you know, pick up hopefully where we left off. Andrew, mate, the home games at the moment, they're like, they're like not in ill carnivals, mate. I, I don't understand what's going on in that stadium. It's just, <laughs> it's beyond exciting. It's beyond nervy. Everyone is so invested. And I think it, I'll say, I, the players feel it. You know, and I do think back to the lessons learned, the Spurs game, we were very, very excitable in our attack and maybe too quick once we won the ball. To have that control in this game when the crowd were baying for more was like, you know, mm. that's a level of maturity, right? So the home games, don't they don't leave you, you know, and they just don't leave you. They're mental. They're never going to leave me these games, never. Mm. When we go away, I think there is a a focus really to to go to someone's house and really show ourselves and there's discipline in our performance. I think at home we can be a little bit emotional. I said to you before. And and I don't blame them. I genuinely don't blame them because I'm emotional. At half time the other day I tell you I, I wanted to take up cricket. I didn't want to watch football anymore. It was just awful. You know, <laughs> so um and it was just it was just so much involved in it. <laughs> so much involved in it. And um but then you get then you get the moment at the end of the game and it's just it's just unforgettable. But away from home, I do like the serenity by which we play. I do love I love going to ground where you look at your team and you think, We're not gonna get beat up. We're not gonna get outrun. And we know where we're gonna stand, you know, and we know how we're gonna play. Mm-hmm. If I could pinpoint one big difference for me this season, it's just something that I'm seeing and I don't know if I'm right, but we seem to analyze teams really, really well. You know, and we seem to have a different game plan for each game. If you just look back at the set pieces that we did against Man United when we all loaded the back post, mm. and then we did the short corners against Everton, we're changing what we're doing for the opponent, which means we're analysing what they're doing. We're predicting what they're going to do to us, and we're ahead of them. And rather than just say, we're just going to play, mm. you know, three box free, let's go. No, we're, we're looking at the opponent and changing, and I, and I love that. Because that gives me a little bit of confidence we might actually do something this year, which involves silverware. That's what yeah. I'm hopeful for. Well, ho- I hope so. I mean, I think you're right about the set pieces in particular because um, there was another game, maybe the one right after where we took all the short corners. Yeah. We didn't take a single short corner in the next game, which yeah. must be tailored entirely towards whoever what the opposition was. I can't remember if it was maybe the Brentford game in the EFL Cup or something. Yeah, I think you might be right. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, you talked about not getting beaten up but this is a big Arsenal team now. Mm. This is a very, very physical Arsenal team. Maybe in certain areas of the pitch, we could have a bit more, you know, and we can yeah. have a debate whether six foot four Kai Havertz is the the presence that you necessarily might want at a centre forward or whatever. But beyond that, this is a very, very physically capable team. And the ability to be able to match other sides physically, I don't think has ever been as important. You've got to be tactically at the top of your game. Every team now has good uh, scouts, good analysts, all those kinds of things. They know, you know, how other teams are going to operate and they'll do what they, they can to negate you um, in various areas of the pitch. 
but being able to withstand a team that runs at you and is, you know, uh, going to leave a bit on in every tackle. What game was that recently? I think it was the Lons, uh, Lons game, where every mm. tackle they came in, there was always just a little bit left on. And I'm not sure yeah. we coped with it as well as we, we should have uh, that night, but I don't think the goals were necessarily uh, about that. Um, you know, City, for all the tiki-taka and all the rest of it, have always had physical power. Their their teams that win the league have had real physical power. Is that something that gives you a bit more comfort as well? You know, when you oh, think yeah. about these fixtures, is like, okay, we have got we've got big men there to deal with these situations. We have, and when I think it's around the 70th minute at the weekend when the three subs were standing there, Tomiyasu, Party, and Havertz, and you look at them three, you're thinking, okay, this is interesting. And I did feel we finished the game stronger, we finished the game fitter, and we had a, probably a stronger 11 to finish the game. And I just felt our presence on the pitch and ability to cover it and hold the ball and the technical physical balance is what you know is what our best teams have always had. You know, we went away from the twenty years ago. I don't like looking back too much, but twenty years ago we had the best team, mm-hmm. and that wasn't a tippy tappy team, was it? Now then, we went to that to that more Spanish, smaller player type style, and we've come back to something a bit more balanced now. You know, so we have six foot three, six foot four, William Saliba, but he doesn't mind a step over. He can play as well, right? And he can pass. So we have the physical and technical balance, which I think is close. We all, as fans, we all tend to look at the areas of weakness, the next upgrade opportunity. <laughs> and uh, that's what we do. You know, I always say this, thinking back 20 years ago, I, I used to always talk about Robert Pires and think, man, he could work a bit harder on his tackling and tackling back. <laughs> a few weeks later, we won every one of the trophy and didn't lose a game, <laughs> right? So... Never satisfied. And I, and I look at the, the centre-forward space and wonder what the next evolution is. You know, what does that look like? What does that player look like? You know, and I think there's room for, for one more. One more, but I'm just not sure what it is, what style. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what, what we might do there. And I think that's an area of the pitch that everybody is really interested in because, you know, there mm. are... I think Jesus is a, an amazing player and I think we've yeah. kind of forgotten how good he is at number nine and there are reasons why he hasn't played there that much this season. He was needed yeah. out wide against Man City. He did a, an amazing job, I think. He Brilliant. was just absolutely outstanding. Like, what's Gvardiol? He's like six foot three, six foot four. Strong player, mate. He First is. time I saw him live and he, he moves. He yeah. moves people around. He's good. Yeah. But, you know, all of a sudden there's a switch from our side to Gabriel Jesus on the right side or a goal kick or a kick from deep from David Raya and Jesus is in the air and he's taking it on his chest and he's taking it down and he's controlling it and he's keeping the ball and he's keeping possession. Do you remember like back in the day where our out ball was Wojciech Szczesny playing a diagonal to halfway to uh, Bakary Sanya who would head it on, and then we try and win the second ball. Yeah, and yeah. Now the game is different, and your goalkeeper is playing higher up the pitch, so he's pumping the ball a bit further into the opposition half, and you've got somebody like Jesus who can take that ball down. And uh, I just think he's an incredible player, and I do wonder if 
in the discussion about, you know, the discussion about like, what do we do about Bukayo Saka? How do we, how do we get the right backup for Bukayo Saka? So when he's injured, we don't miss him as much, but also a player who can maybe take some of the burden off him and people will be uh, having these visions of Pedro Neto in red and white as I'm speaking right now. And I get it. What an exciting player he is as well. But I wonder if the solution isn't a replacement for Bukayo Saka. It's more about getting somebody up top and using Gabriel Jesus in that way because then you sort of, you add to the depth of the squad without having to bring in two players because you could still bring in a right winger and make a good case for a centre forward, you know? Yeah. I, I like wing forwards. You know, they're the ones I like. So the profile of player that would suit us, in my opinion, is somebody like Alexander Isak is at Newcastle, right? So a tall wing forward that can play wide, six foot three, can be a post up, but also run the sides and can play central. Mm-hmm. And I think that type of player would fit us. But also, Andrew, he's a, he's a massive presser. He presses the ball. He's very aggressive off the ball. So we have these ideas of players, but that front two, you know, the Odegaard plus one, you got to be able to work because they start everything off, and um, you can't have anyone walking about there, you know, looking at their boots, waiting for a chance to come. Right. So the reason why Adrian Cater is still at Arsenal because he works hard until he runs out of he runs out of puff, but he, he gives it some, mm. and, he, and he's part of our system. So I think that type of player is the one that I sort of favour. Obviously, people like the Ivan Tony option, but what do you make of the Tony option? What do you make of you know him? I mean, I think he's a very good player, but what do you think of him as a potential candidate for Arsenal and how his style of play might or might not mesh with what we're doing? It's a, it's a difficult one, right? If I'm if I'm being honest with you, I'm not quite feeling it. I'm just I have these doubts, and I'm not sure why. I watched him play against us last year, and when you go long to him, you might as well forget it, right? You mm. just, you just he's just you can't get round him. You know, you have to get a taxi to get around him. He's that broad. And um, and it is enticing. But that's playing for Brentford in a particular system. And then again, we have got our playmaking goalkeeper that used to kick it to him, right? So, yeah, so maybe true. we're trying to reproduce that system. But <laughs> but I, I do think, I think we could do a bit more. I think we can have a bit more than just having that player. If the price was right, Andrew, and there's a deal to be done, then obviously... You mm. and it can be done. Then obviously uh, you'll be silly to move away from it. But when you're talking sixty to eighty million for a guy who's twenty eight in March, that doesn't fit my head. You know, um, yeah. it doesn't fit my head. And I think we need people that are more multifunctional. You know, and that's why I, I'm not saying Isaac's the one, but that type. You know, that type of player just gives me a bit more legs, give me a bit more carrying, and but also gives me a centre forward play and and I think size as well because Jesus is not very big. So he plays big. Eddie's bigger, you know, so uh, Trossard is quite small. I just think, I'm not saying that height and and pace and, and power is everything, but in our front five, we have room for somebody bigger. Do you see yeah. what I mean? We no, have I room agree, for yeah. somebody bigger. And so that's it. And if we are saying to have a, so again, who's a, he's a, he's a podcast on his own, if we, if we are saying he's going to play in midfield, 
then we do need somebody bigger in that front line just to add to the group. Now, that's how I look at it. Yeah. We do have a few little questions from our uh, Discord. And you mentioned Havertz, and James wrote a piece uh, this week about him in The Athletic, mm. about using him as, as a nine. And uh, Fuzz on the Discord said, there's been a lot of discussion this week about deploying Havertz as a nine rather than forcing the left eight. My question is whether this makes sense to be used from the outset when we know our usual plan is a fairly involved high press and the striker is usually having to close down the angle between one of the centre-backs and the keeper. It seems to me that Havertz might work as a late-game line better than from the outset. And look, I know we're still in the very early stages of of Kai Havertz's Arsenal career. Do I mean... Arteta has always been slightly coy about what his plan was. We all made the assumption that this was the left eight. This was the Granite Xhaka replacement. He's placed in the midfield group, of course, on the official website, officially classed as a midfielder, but, Mm. you know, can play forward, can play wide, can play behind a striker. I mean, is it a case that, you know, we've, we've mentioned this when it comes to defenders, that Arteta has bought, uh, bought you know, uh, Tommy Asu, centre-half, right-back, left-back. Jurian Timber, we thought, right-back, centre-half, uh, also left-back, it turns yeah. out. Kivior, left-back, um, has played in midfield, left-centre-half as well. Ben White, bought as a centre-half, now maybe the best right-back in the Premier League. That things that we didn't necessarily expect from players are things um, or things that, that that players can bring to the team over the course of a season are perhaps viewed as more important than their one fixed position. Totally agree. And I thought you got to almost mature your thinking and say, well, actually stop trying to pick a first 11 with a, with a team in it and play them all the time. Just have this group. And the five subs rule changes everything. And Havertz becomes a real strong tactical tool that we can use in different ways. Again, the Man City game, Charity Shield, outstanding as a centre forward. I just couldn't believe my eyes. I was so excited, so excited the fact that we actually competed with them in all our facets of the game. And he was part of it. I couldn't wait to see it. I thought, when he gets into midfield, you're going to smash it. But actually, he's wired as a centre forward. He's been there for two, two years as a centre forward player in different systems with different managers, but he's wired to lay the ball off, set it off. That's what he's done. Now we have to wire him differently to arrive late, to play on the half turn, to receive the ball in one, two touches and go through him. So he started to do that in recent games. In the earlier game, I think he might have been fooling when he just set the ball back and the crowd went crazy. Mm. Do that at centre forward. He did it at the weekend. We all loved him, didn't we? Set the ball back to Martinelli and he, he scored the goal. It's just where you're doing those actions in the pitch. You're doing sure. them in the pitch when your your skill there should be to all progression. And that's probably your weakness. Change his body position and now the ball's going through him. He's been a bit more impactful. Can he speed up his passes? I think he could a little bit. Could he put a bit more snap there? I think he could. Could he be a bit more aggressive once he's played the pass to make the run? I think he could. It's not something that he can't do. Because when you put him in centre forward, you see him aggressively moving into areas. So it's in there. It's just about unlocking it and making sure he's clear in his role. And I've been quite... I haven't been super high on him, but I've been quite high on him. You can see all the things he can do. And the things that are left to do are fixable. You know, so if you see a player with talent, but you think, actually, he can't do that. It's just not in his boots. Then you can close the door. You can say you can. That's when someone has a ceiling. 
I don't think he's seen him being close to being tapped in Arsenal's team. He just needs a bit more time to fully break in and feel comfortable. And I think he'll improve us. But to be to be confirmed, right? That's how I feel about him. Yeah, yeah. Look, I uh, I like certain aspects of his game. I like certain things that he brings to the team. I'm I'm yet to be convinced by by others. Um, I, I strongly feel, and I know some people won't like it. I I do think confidence is important for players, and I think he is a guy who arrived at Arsenal at a pretty low ebb, and understandably. You know, the way the season has started and all the rest of it has found it a little bit difficult to, to sort of build up that confidence. And I'm hoping that, you know, the contribution against Man City will do that. I'm hoping that, you know, the penalty, even if it was a little bit of a gift, it's still a nice moment for him. These things incrementally build his confidence. Coming back up the stairs, as as Arsene Wenger said, went down, the lift comes back up in the stairs. I, I think that that's part of it. But, you know, I, I am to be convinced, but I like having him as an option. You know, I, yeah. I thought when I looked at the bench on Sunday, I was like, okay, there's a different option at least for center forward. Is he your classic number nine? Absolutely not. Does he give you something different from Eddie and Ketia? Absolutely. You know, which yeah. is, uh, you know, again, a little bit of sort of my concern about our forward line. I think I've said it before. It's a bit five foot nine. You know, and yeah. it goes back to what you were saying about having a, a bit more up top. So, yeah, we will we'll wait and see. We had a question about William Saliba, who I think uh, I wrote about in the blog this week. I just not sure I have the words to talk about <laughs> what a, what a, an incredible player he is, and the maturity, the composure at twenty two years of age for a central defender is. I don't know if I've ever seen it before, necessarily. Certainly not at Arsenal. And we've had very good central defenders at this this football club. Tony Adams, an iconic captain who broke through at 18 years of age. Was he as composed as William Saliba? No. It's a different world, a different type of football, though. I understand that. And, and you know, I'm just saying, though, at 22 years of age, to see what this guy does is, is amazing. And I'm glad he's got the interlull off because... Um, Got a bit of a toe injury. Just get that toe in some uh, ice baths and he'll be fine, hopefully, for, for Chelsea. Yeah. But the question came from Son of Som, who said there's been some talk this week about the impact Saliba's injury had, uh, both in our game at the Eddie had last season and last season in general. Do you think we could fare better this season if he was out for five or ten games? And if so, what would our defence look like? Yeah, well, I must admit, I tried to explain my way out of the fact that he'd valued in the last season. I think he missed the last 10, 11 games. Mm. Every time you see him this season, you start to think, actually, mate, we <laughs> if we just had him for half those games last year that he missed, um, what would have happened? Yeah, Because he just seems to be... I know, Andrew, you, you're hesitating to say what you're really thinking. Have you seen a better player ever play? <laughs> no, not quite, not quite. But I'm, <laughs> I mean, I would make the argument that he is as important to us as Bakayo Saka is. Yeah. It, it, it is, and his value is growing by the week. You know, it's literally, it feels that way to me. It, it's growing by the week. If you think back to how close it felt we were going to lose him. Mm. You know, it's just like how... Could you imagine watching him stroll around for somebody else? We would be just devastated, you know. Yeah, and, um, playing uh, playing with uh, Jude Bellingham in front of him, probably. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
we would be devastated. And but I do think it's worked out well. And his position and his responsibility has grown. He's now our chief playmaker. He's a central centre back, really, isn't he? Mm. You know, in the in the three, and he he does that sweeping role brilliantly. All his attributes complement Gabriel perfectly. You know, and White and the balance of the three of them is just like it's unbelievable. But to answer the question properly, we have got this guy called Tommy Asu, who I thought did very well when he played at centre back the other week. And I I am a fan of Kivior as well. I, I do like him. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, he's got that ability to to look after the ball and, and want the ball. You know? I think he needs to you know, he's getting more aggressive in the challenge in the shoulder to shoulders. And he has that, he's got that on-ball aura. And I, and I like what he's showing for a 22-year-old. Sleeper's 22, and we don't, we don't look at him at the same age, right? The one, it's all about experience and minutes on the pitch. Mm. I, do, I do like where we're going there. I'm, I never saw Timber as a centre-back. You know, I saw him as a, a multi-sided full-back, you know, um, right-back and left-back, but not a centre-back. But we haven't seen that yet. But I think we'll be better this year if we lost... Saliba with those two players for definite because we can still play where we want to play the mistake last season was probably playing Rob Holding in a system that he couldn't cope with and and that was it really and that's not his fault you know he just couldn't cope with that system over a longer period of time and we should have changed the system or picked another player and we eventually landed on Kivu on things starting to improve so Mm. experience lessons learned again but I'd be happier but no one's William Saliba, right? We'll just be a bit happier, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're better able to cope, but he would be he would still be a you know a, a very big miss. I mean, I think I was very impressed with uh, Kivior in the EFL Cup game against yeah. Brentford. You know, he's playing in that left back ish position, but like ninety three percent pass completion with seventy one passes. Only Jorginho made more passes on the night. So technically. You know he's 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 very accomplished. We haven't really yeah. seen him tested too much defensively, although he did make an incredible block with his uh, arse in that game against uh, Brentford. So there was a good last ditch bit of defending from him. But you know, I I really I have to say, you know, I'm still when I think about the squad, I'm I'm still a bit gutted about Timber and a bit gutted mm-hmm. about you know what kind of a safety net his presence in the squad would give us and and the ability to um to rotate maybe to cope a bit more you know the the natural second right back option isn't uh isn't quite there i know tommy asu plays there but he is different to ben white and i really like tommy asu i have to say i'm i'm very big on him as a sort of swiss army nice defense uh, swiss army knife defender that we have in our squad but i do think there's more to come from kibior we just have to you know find out when we were going to see it yeah the timber thing i do well, I miss I miss him as a left back actually. I quite liked him on that side. Sometimes mm. good for a righty to see the whole pitch on his right foot. He can manipulate the ball and he can see the whole pitch from the, from that side. I think Tommy Asu is better on the left than he is at right. I think his next position is centre back. And the position I don't like him in is actually right back. <laughs> so uh, although he can do it, but I think he's a little bit more. I think sometimes when you're on your strong foot, you try to do too much. Mm. You try to progress and sometimes you can overpress and and disconnect from your back line. When he plays left side, I think he's more connected to the others, and I, and I like him that way. But you can see the future potentially, Andrew. And I think if you look at our midfielders of Party, Jorginho, and El Nenny, potentially all three of them won't be at the club next season. So I have three elder statesmen in centre midfield that 
going to be probably moving on. I look at Zinchenko and I looked at what he can do as a number six, potentially. And if you look at what Bernardo did and what Rico Lewis did, no one can tell me that Zinchenko can't do that. You know, just sit at the base of our team and pop that ball around. You can see his future not being a 10, but being a, a true defensive midfielder that progresses the ball from deep. And then we can then incorporate more a timber, shall we say, who mm. can defend, but also progress the ball and also carry the ball. So you add a different style of player. Again, it's another tool. It's another option. It's another way of playing. And that's potentially the future for next season. Just um, projecting, really. Yeah, I mean, that that is... Um... That is a consideration, you know, those guys who are 30 plus and, and what we're going to do. I mean, is, mm. you know, this, the left eight, I think, is the the sort of bete noir of, of Arsenal discussion, if you like. But I mean, is is it possible that with everybody fit, Zinchenko becomes an option for that? If you use this season, like you say, to, you know, to mold Declan Rice into that six, pure yeah. six, that Zinchenko, who has a number 10 and plays in midfield for Ukraine, and you know that that is his natural position, is that a possible option? I, I think so. And it, again, it's just it's about how you build your squad. I, I think, you know, I was worried about Doku coming on at right wing at the weekend, and that's exactly where he did come on originally. And then then he moved over, you know, I don't know why he moved over. Well, Zinchenko you know, won first tackle, like first tackle, yeah, he, he ran at him in the box and I was thinking, mm, I wonder will we see Tommy Asu soon? And we did, but Zinchenko won his first tackle and he immediately did. went over the other side. Well, what we didn't do though, we didn't keep him on. Again, we've learned, mm. we know his defending sort of maybe loosens the last 10 minutes of the game. So we bring someone else on who, who came critical to the whole day, right? So, I think I think we're learning. I, I do like Zinchenko. I think he's an incredible player, so influential. I don't know how he progressed the ball without him. I'm looking at ways to make sure he's around and we also solidify, you know, create room for Timber to come into this group because mm. he will be coming into this group, you know? Mm. And that's a way when you think about the three experience we're losing in Tenement Field, just naturally, that's a way to uh, protect give him the next phase of his career, which sure. is gonna be more central. Um, PD Blackstock on the Discord says we play Brentford at the end of November will Raya be able to play that game no he won't he wasn't able to play in the EFL Cup game and he says do you think we're likely to see more of Ramsdale in the run up to that game and now that we're a little bit down the line from those comments from Mikel Arteta after the Everton game you know between 1 and 10 what's your what's your rating for how truthful he was being there about what he wants to do with his goalkeepers. Because, you know, it's easy to go, well, this sounds amazing. He's going to like rotate his goalkeeper. He's going to take one off in the 70th minute. Da, 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 da. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's what we're getting. But, you know, Ramsdale has to play against Brentford because Raya can't. How important is it to make sure that Ramsdale feels included, gets minutes, isn't cold while maintaining the the aspects of Raya's game that Arteta really, really values very highly. Even if, you know, the first part of his performance on, on Sunday was shaky, he drew massive praise from the manager for the way he, he kept sticking to what he wanted, yeah. not what what not what made Raya feel comfortable or what made the crowd feel comfortable, 
but what yeah. made the manager feel comfortable. So it's a balancing act, isn't it, to to try and find a way to to keep Ramsdale involved and engaged. Yeah, man, this this subject's on my mind a lot, and I'm trying not to rush to conclusion, much like with Havertz about what position he should play. I'm trying to open my mind up to the art of the possible. And so when Arteta was talking about substituting goalkeepers, I wasn't I wasn't having that. I, I honestly I wasn't that bit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't having that. However, I did think the potential to use two goalkeepers in a 55 game season is on. You know, to truly use them. You know, to sh- not say half and half share it, but a goalkeeper, both goalkeepers get significant game time. Mm. I thought I'm open to that. But then obviously the national break came along and Raya came in and he just looked supreme immediately. And then you know you can't you can't hide what your eyes show you. Right? They, for me, you can see that he's got a little bit more comfort around some of the tasks that he's been asked to do. Mm. He just has a bit more comfort around the ball. Not every outcome is is spot on. Not every pass reaches his target. But you can see it, Anchikai. You can see how we can create overloads in the back of our team. You can see that he can hit anybody from anywhere. And he's just he's just very good at this. He's got, you know, collecting crosses. He's really, really good. At the weekend, he was a bit edgy. But he was also, Man City were very good to put him under pressure. Very good to put him under pressure. They, acceler- they use Alvarez to accelerate into him a lot. And Haaland. And they really went man for man on occasions. And they did it very, very subtly. Like, pretending they weren't interested. And bang, man for man. Suddenly, all his options are gone. Mm. You know, they're just gone. And then what do you do then? Yep, as soon as you're half a second later, you're being charged down. So I, it's, a, it's a concern. Is it a concern? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how this is going to play. I, I, I just want to be away from this a little bit because I'm not being truly objective because I really like Ramsdale. <laughs> I like him. I don't think the gap is as big as what people are saying. I don't think it's... There's many things that Ramsdale can't learn as a 25-year-old young goalkeeper. Mm. And so I think it's great we have two of them, but maybe my heart is talking more than my head and maybe I just have to accept we've got a new number one and we're going to see Ramsdale on a very odd occasion. But I'm just not there yet. I'm not there yet. I can't accept it yet because <laughs> I just think there are going to be more opportunities for him. If there isn't, then so be it. We've got... We've, but I'm just not quite there yet. Is that it, makes sense. Yeah, it does. I know. I look. I love Ramsdale. I love what he's done. I love his personality. I love the character. I love the 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 way he came in and proved a lot of people wrong. I think it, you know if he, if Arteta talked about uh, Raya having big ones, then I think the same is true of Aaron Ramsdale when he came to Arsenal because not only did he have to prove um, the media, the pundits wrong, but also the fans. You know, because there was such. Oh, opposition but such disquiet or or people couldn't necessarily believe that this was the goalkeeper we were going for and that this was a goalkeeper who could take us forward or who who could improve the position for us and he absolutely did there's no two ways about that um so i think he deserves a lot of credit there but you know is this you know very finally is this just a consequence of having a better team that as you raise the level, you are going to have to let go of some people who you feel close to, who you've got affection for, who you're not going, God almighty, will somebody just take that guy out into the woods, tie them to a tree and drive away. And we'll never have to think about them ever again. Now we want to, we're like, oh no, you know, it is, I think part of that is that 
replacing good players with better players is far more difficult for the emotional part of you or I or anybody listening as a football fan to deal with than replacing some craphead with somebody who's actually a competent footballer. <laughs> I tell you, as a, as a coach, you're standing there, right? And you've got like eight, nine people behind you on the bench. You don't want to turn around and go, oh my God, I can't use any of those. <laughs> you want to turn <laughs> around and go, which one of these wonderful players do I put on to, to, mm. to maximize the opportunity that's in front of me right now? Right? And that's what you really want. And sometimes I say, to, you know, Arteta's talking to us. He, and he said, I want two world-class players in every position. And we choose not to listen when it suits us. <laughs> Me included, by the way. <laughs> when the new goalkeeper comes in, oh, what's he doing? <laughs> and so, um, but he's doing what he said he was going to do. Lift the level of the squad, raise the standards. So we are going to get, so we get Man City turning up, worried about their shape and system when they play us. Mm. When we turn to the bench, our squad actually looks a bit deeper, you know, with their injuries and suspensions, etc. Our squad on the day was deeper, and we won that with depth. Mm. Depth that we won that with depth of quality. Now we weren't saying that a year ago, right? So we're on. It's all about raising the standards, and the actions that the club are taking are to raise the standards of the squad. And we all you know. David Dean said, "I used to, used to wake up." And all he thought was getting a better team on the craft. That was the only thing he thought about. He feels like we're back to those days again. Get a better team on the grass because everything comes from that. Your connection to the to the fans comes from that. When they see an absolute ferocious intensity to improve the players and the playing staff. When you see that end to end, then you've got something that you can connect to. Right? And you haven't got people sitting around the club waiting to be rolled off the books. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so, so it's tough, right? It's tough because there's some people we really like. There's more to come. Mm. There's more to come. This isn't a this isn't a crush anymore, mate. This is for real, isn't it? Yeah, we all want it. This is big boy stuff now. Yeah, they're out of the crash. All right. Well, look, we better leave it there as ever. Clive, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again, and we'll uh, catch up again soon. Very soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Clive. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Clive P-A-F-C, at Clive P-A-F-C. And of course, you can hear more of him over on the Arsenal Vision podcast, which you will find wherever you get podcasts or at arsenalvisionpodcast.com. Right, I'm going to leave it there for this week's show. Thank you again so much for being with us and thank you for listening. It's much appreciated. It's going to be a quiet weekend. Nevertheless, James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you. In the meantime, take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.